and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are continuing our marriage sermon series here, and two weeks ago we kicked it off with, with uh, two myths that often people walk into marriage with. And the first myth is this if I marry the right person, everything will be all right. And the second myth is this if I marry the right person, I will be all right. And they're two destructive myths. They're destructive because when you get married with someone, you, you might find this out, sometimes things aren't perfect. Sometimes. Sometimes he leaves the lid up. Sometimes she snores. You never know. You never know. Things get bumpy. And when things get really bumpy, as they all do, in all relationships, sometimes people are tempted to think, maybe I didn't marry the right person. It's a destructive myth. And so there's a search on for the more compatible person. And you have dating websites that pop up like eHarmony. I love that commercial. It's like they got the music playing and the people are dancing because they found the right person, she's just right, he's just perfect, right? And they know they're just right, they're just perfect because the computer told them so. And they're perfect for each other. And they are so compatible, right? And they have these two people, and I, oh, we were just right for each other, it's just perfect, you know, is it great? It's funny. I like to laugh at things like that, right? <laughs> I am reminded of the great poet Ogden Nash. The great poet Ogden Nash wrote this. I am quite sure that marriage is the alliance of two people, one of whom never remembers birthdays and the other never forgets them. <laughs> and he refuses to believe there's a leak in the water pipe or the gas pipe, and she is convinced she's about to asphyxiate or drown. And she says, quick, get up and get my hairbrushes off the windowsill. It's raining in. And he replies, oh, they're all right. It's only raining straight down. And that is why marriage is so much more interesting than divorce because it's the only no example of the happy meeting of the immovable object and the irresistible force. So I hope husbands and wives will continue to debate and combat over everything debatable and combatable, because I believe a little incompatibility is the spice of life, particularly if he has income and she is patable. Ogden Nash, there you go. <laughs> so compatibility, it's important. It, it helps. It's not most important. It's not. I think of, of my own marriage. Sorry. My, my wife and I have been happily married for 20 years. Happily married. It's not perfect. No relationship is. But it's good. It's good. It's, it's great. It's great. <laughs> but we are the two of the most incompatible people ever. We, we start dating and we have like nothing in common. I'm a city guy. I grew up in L.A. We went to college in Seward, Nebraska, a town of 7,000 people. And she said, this is the largest town I've ever lived in. It has a Walmart. Oh, my goodness. I love sports. She's really crafty. She's going to be at your place because she's not going to football. Right? I'm a PC person. She's a Mac person. Many debates in the household over PC versus Mac, right? When we were dating, we discovered we had three things in common. And only three. We both loved Jesus. We both wanted a dog. We both hate crunchy peanut butter. 
That was it. That was it. And we thought, you know, we're going to be together forever because we're committed. We're committed to each other. Because she's awesome. We're committed to her. So what is most important? If compatibility is the most important thing, what's the most important thing? And Bev wrote about it today in our, in our reading from Ephesians chapter 5. She said, instead be filled with the Spirit. Let me pull it up here. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. And then the text goes on to say, wives, submit to your husbands. And I heard, like, murmuring when she read that. That was awesome. I'm like, oh, yeah. But then she went on to say, she clearly highlighted, husbands, give your lives to your wives. Husbands, be like Jesus to your wives and be willing to die for them. So I would argue if there's any burden, the, the larger burden is on the husband. It just really is. But the text makes it clear. It's submit to one another. Submit to one another. And that's hard. Nobody likes the word submit. And I would love to tell you in the Greek, it really means that no, it, it means submit. <laughs> in fact, it's a military term. So like a commanding officer type of thing. You take orders and you, you listen to the orders. It's, it's a military term. And you'll only be able to learn to serve others by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul begins it, be filled with the Spirit, and then says, submit to one another. You can't have it any other way. You can't say, I'm going to put this person's needs and wants and dreams ahead of my own without some sort of supernatural power. It's the only way. Tim Keller, in his book uh, on marriage, which is phenomenal, he says this. First, the picture of marriage given here is not of two needy people unsure of their own value and purpose, finding their significance and meaning in one, other, one another's arms. So in other words, the picture of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 isn't two people saying, my, my meaning and my purpose in life is you. <gasps> because then when that person drops the ball as they invariably will, then you are crushed. Your meaning and purpose has failed you. But instead this. Rather, Paul assumes that each spouse already has settled the big questions of life, why they were made by God and who they are in Christ. And so the power of marriage the power of marriage is to live life securing God's love for you. It starts there. The power of marriage is to know I am loved and cherished by God. And because of that, I can serve my spouse. That's why. Because far too often the power of marriage is I love and serve my spouse because she's really nice to me or he's really good to me. And there's an exchange going on there. And it falters sometimes. Dr. Harley, uh, he talks about it like this. He talks about a love bank. 
And so to demonstrate, I, I've asked my wife to come up. And she said she would as long as she didn't have to say anything. So, <laughs> so thank you. All right, here you go. All right. So, so in mar marriage, we, we all have like a love bank, right? And when you're dating, this thing is full to the brim, right? It's just overflowing. You're like, oh. And you have those phone conversations, and you argue about who's going to hang up first, right? Because you're so in love, right? And so this thing is just full over, right? And, and, then, and then, like, um, you know, you, you, you do things regularly to fill up the love bank. You, like, you send a little note, and this little card says, I love you. you know, that's, that's a little, little deposit there. And then, and then you make another deposit, and you're like, hey, let's go on a date tonight. And oh, that's a deposit. That's a deposit. And then you get the ring, right? That's a deposit, my friends. That's <laughs> huge, right? And you're making deposits. And, and sometimes, you know, with, withdrawals happen. You know, sometimes you show up late for, for something you planned, and there's a little withdrawal. And the thing about withdrawals and this love bank thing, it's not like when it comes out, it goes back into your pot. It just goes away. Right, it's just gone. And then one time you you make a joke that just is a little little not funny, little little insensitive, right? That's the, another withdrawal too, and it just goes away. But it's okay when you're dating because the thing's so full, right? And then life happens. And the funny thing about marriage is when you get married, you start discovering a few things. And the, and the first thing is is that that wonderful person who is the right person and perfect for you, you get to begin to find out that that other person is, like, selfish. That's a withdrawal here. And then that other person begins to find out that, you know, you're kind of selfish, too, and starts telling you about it. And it starts getting lower here. And then you have the first baby. Woo! And then you don't sleep, right? So that's like psh, big withdrawal, right? That's like, psh, nobody's sleeping. It's not anyone's fault. It's just, it's just life, you know? And that's a withdrawal. Right? And then you start, stop going on dates quite as often. It's not quite that much. Come on, come on, come on. That's a withdrawal. And all of a sudden you're going, man, that love bank is it's just getting kind of low. And what happens when your, your checking account gets low? You've all been there. When the checking account gets low, you get anxious, right? I remember when uh, we were in college, we had a couple friends who were married, and they were poor college students, right? And she went out and bought a used Christmas tree stand for $5, and they got into an argument about it. That was a withdrawal, whoa, <laughs> right? And I'm going, man, why are they arguing over five bucks? I mean, you can handle five bucks, right? But because the bank account was so low, he got anxious, he got nervous. And the same thing happens with the love bank. When it gets low, you start getting anxious. And you'll hear couples saying, we had an argument, and I don't even know what we argued about. Right? A lot of times it happens because... The bank, the love account is so low that you get anxious, and something small and, and trivial becomes a, a big deal because the, the balance is just low, and you get anxious. And when you get anxious, you get fearful. And when you get fearful, you become unwilling to risk. 
which really is about what love is all about, right? Love really is just one big risk. There, there is no love without risk. And so you have these couples who are now both anxious, anxious because they both discovered, wow, you're kind of selfish. And then the other person discovered, wow, you're kind of selfish. And then they have a decision to make. Well, their own woundedness and hurts drive the marriage. In other words, will one person in marriage say, my woundedness and my hurt is more important than my own selfishness? And so what needs to happen here is, is you need to fix yourself and then things will be better. And what often happens is the person says, well, no, you need to fix yourself and then things will be better. And then there's this uneasy truce. And the accounts just kind of slowly dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And that's what happens. But there's another way. Do you want to sit there? Oh, which I hear. Let me fill this up. You can, you can take that home. There's another way. What if there's another source? See, God in Jesus Christ loves you. And that type of love is committed. It's, it's secure. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on how well you happen to be doing in life. It's not even dependent on you. Jesus Christ just loves you. And when Psalm 23 says, my cup overflows, that's what he's talking about. So when God's love for you becomes a part of your marriage, all of a sudden, you're not looking to your spouse saying, I need you. To love me. I need you to fulfill my needs. Because your needs are getting met by Jesus. And now you can say, alright, now I'm willing to risk. Now I'm ready to risk. Now I'm ready to make love you. Even though it's kind of scary. Even though I have to risk. Even though it might not be reciprocated. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. And, and that's the image of marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, when that happens, there's a couple places to begin. If you want to work on your marriage, here's a great question. If you have, if you are courageous and bold, if you know your love bank is already overflowing, you can ask this question. The question is this. Ask your spouse this. What is it like to be married to me? That's a bold question, isn't it? What's it like to be married to me? And you might hear some things you may not want to hear. But as soon as you hear them, you'll be able to say, okay, if I want to make deposits in this person's love bank, I need to make changes in this area. That's where I'm going to start. It's a great place to start. I remember one time, uh, Heather and I, we were 
we had been married for, gosh, four or five years, and and we had two kids. And we had a two-year-old and an infant. And uh, I had just started working as a pastor in California, and I was loving life. I was loving life. I was a pastor, what I'd been trained to do for eight years. I was finally doing it. It was going fantastic. It was just great. It was super busy. I was gone a lot of nights. And I asked Heather, I said, Heather, what do you want for Christmas? Because I'm bad with gift giving. It's not my, it's not my gift. I'm not good at giving gifts. So I'd just rather just ask and be told what to give and then do it. I'd right? like that. And she said, this is what I want from you. I want you to buy me a calendar. I want a calendar for Christmas? Yep. Yeah. I want a calendar, and I want you to write down in pen. You're going to take me out once a month on a date, and you're going to be pick the date, and you're going to be charged, and you're going to find the babysitter. That's what I want for Christmas. When your wife asks you that for Christmas, it's time to repent, my friends. <laughs> it is time to get on your knees and repent. So you just ask the question, what's it like? What's it like to be married to me? Because so many times we want the other person to take the first step. We wish there was like a marriage referee, right? Someone referee and make the call of who's wrong in this situation. Maybe something like this. It's a red flag. And if they think the ref makes a bad call, they throw this red flag. The ref has to look at this video replay thing on the field, see if he was wrong, change the call. I think that's a brilliant idea. I want that for marriage. Wouldn't that be awesome, man? Get an argument, throw the red flag, ref comes out of the pantry. Sisters and kids and friends 
and parents, and especially spouses. Amen? Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, may it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, for life everlasting. Amen. As the team comes up here, let's